0: Welcome to episode 881 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 881 of I Am Talk with coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. Actually, it's just Bevan James Isles here today because John, he said to me, Bevan, I, I would like to have a break and not have to worry about the show when I'm going to Athens. I saw some photos on Facebook over the last couple of days of him in Athens um, and him and Belinda are having a pretty awesome time, so... Um, this show is going to be a little bit different to what we traditionally do. It's, it's actually going to be, you know, if you've listened to the show for a long time, you know, whenever I get an opportunity to do a piece myself, I like to go into the deeper side of the mind side of the sport. And today I want to go really deep into a concept of are you getting the change you want and how you can be more effective at getting the change you want as an athlete but it can be transferable in all areas of your life so it's going to be more of an education kind of show now i do have a couple john did yeah. end up doing four interviews post epic a um, post challenge wrote so i've got to, i'm going to check those on there they're only about 15 minutes long so i'm going to spend a lot of time in this, this kind of first part of the show which will be a big educational piece. Then I'll chuck those interviews on at the end, but it might be a little bit of a shorter show, and then uh, we'll kind of wrap it up at the end. So before we get into it, I just want to say thank you to our patrons. Now, I don't have the list of patrons in front of us right now, but... I just want to say a massive thank you to the patrons of the show. If you're listening to this and you know you are a patron, we really, really do appreciate your support. Uh, admittedly, nowadays, you know, through the podcast, we don't really get any advertising like we used to. Uh, podcasting's a much more challenging way to make money nowadays, so when you have patrons like the patrons who support the show. It really does support us and what we do. So if you are a patron, thank you so much for being a patron, and if you're not, and you're thinking about doing it, just go to www.iamtalk.me, go through the process, you can support the boys and what we do for you, and bring out the show each week. So, let me dig into my subject. So, I suppose I'm gonna, and I'll be talking a lot more about piano than sport today. But I think this can really cross over to Ironman, and I, I reflect upon myself in my Ironman time, and I and I look at myself as a person in that one thing I'm very good at is I'm very good at doing my strings. So. One of my character traits as a person is, not many people can outwork me. Like, I am a hard worker. And in many ways in life, that has really helped me succeed in many areas, because just that thing of, I will persist until I succeed, has got me a lot of places in life. And and let's be honest, in a sport like Ironman, this kind of, I will persist until I succeed, that kind of work ethic is rewarded, because the simplicity of the sport means that if you're willing to just put the yards in, you're going to do pretty well in the sport. And, and and you know, like, I, from a guy who couldn't really swim to a guy who, you know, who hadn't really done the sport to getting to be an entry-level pro, you know, just over nine hours for an Ironman, you know, I was an example of someone who, you know, just put the years of work in and got to a level that I was pretty happy with at the end of it. And once I gave up Ironman, I kind of went into a new hobby of piano playing. And interestingly... Piano playing is not rewarded in the same way that Ironman is for work ethic. And what I mean by this is that I've now played piano probably for 10 years. And a thing that I often say is, for the amount of time I've spent playing the piano, I'm probably not as good in my ability as my piano playing as what I should be. And it's probably, as I reflect upon this, it's probably due to the fact that Ultimately, I've just gone on with this hard work ethic kind of theory. And I haven't really spent a lot of time around the best way and the most effective way to mm-hmm. learn that skill. And as I was saying before, as I reflect upon my time in Ironman, an Ironman you can kind of get away with just being a hard worker. Now, as much as Iron Man you can be get away with just being a hard worker, I think in some ways that makes us neglect obvious growth and massive growth or or faster growth pathways that we could be achieving if maybe we shifted the approach. Now, so today I'm obviously gonna share a lot of how I've gone about things and strategies that I've learnt in my piano playing and in other areas of life that if I were to do Iron Man again, I would apply these. And, and for some people, you'll be like me. And for some people, you, you may already be applying the things that I talk about today. But hopefully, everybody can take something away from what I'm talking about today. So, I suppose the first thing we've got to say is um, when we think about growth and we think about progress, so obviously, all of us are in the sport or in, in any growth area in our life, because we're trying to develop ourselves to be a better version of ourselves. Now, that can be reflected in time, that can be reflected in uh, competition, that can be reflected in skill development, that can be reflected in your stats. But ultimately, what we're saying is, how do I get from A to B? Now, again, if we could just say, right now, I'm a 10 and a half hour Ironman, and I want to be a 10, sub-10 10 Ironman. That's my A is where I am right now, and what's my B? Now, when we think about getting from A to B, there's many different ways that we can do this. And as I was talking about before, early on in my well, in my Ironman career, my my strategy was just work hard, like I really was. I was just like, I'll do the arts, And if I reflect upon how I approached all the other aspects of me as an athlete, I really didn't put much attention into that. And and actually, I, I often think about the interview we did with um, Greg. Oh, gee, it was um. I can't remember his name, one of the pro-athletes we interviewed on Legends. And actually, I'm I'm just going to look up Legends of Triathlon right now. So actually, if I go here, Legends, um, I'm going to find that name while I'm talking. Um, Greg Bennett, that's right, Greg Bennett. Greg Bennett, when you listen to his interview about being a professional athlete, Greg Bennett was an athlete who did, and if you've never listened to that Legends of Triathlon, go back and listen to it. It's an absolutely masterclass on... If you want to succeed in something, this is how you do it. And Greg Bennett basically, and in this interview, he talked about how him and his partner talked about, you know, he was a pretty good athlete, and they were like, we're going to go for it. We're going to give it everything it takes to be an athlete. And Greg Bennett left no stone unturned in what it took for him to have his career. And he probably would have said, I can't remember if he did, but I imagine in that interview, he probably would have said, you know, I maybe wouldn't have been the most talented athlete, but I did everything it took to be the best athlete. And if I would have reflected upon my meant time, I wasn't that person. I just worked hard. You know, and there were many stones that I didn't even think about unturning. And so when I think about going back from that A to B, you know, what was the best way for me to get my where I was right now to the goal that I ultimately wanted to achieve, I didn't take the most effective approach. I definitely grew, and I definitely achieved goals that I wanted to achieve, but I didn't take the most effective approach. And as I think of my piano playing, that's been one of my problems with my piano playing as well, is that, as I said before, as a piano player, I'm not as good as I should be based on the time that I've spent on it. And in this last moment in my life, I've been doing lots of reflecting upon this, and that's because, ultimately, I haven't taken the best approach to how i've tried to develop myself with my piano playing and and as you listen to this right now this is maybe something for you to think about as your athletic career you know like as you reflect upon your triathlon endeavor and you've gone from your A to B from where you are right now to where you want to get to or before these moments have you taken the most effective approach for your progress and Ultimately, I suppose that's the that's the standard we should be aiming for. We should be aiming for the time I spend doing this should be the most effective use of the time so I'm making the best progress possible. And on the show recently, I've been talking about the book Ultra Learning that I've been reading recently, and this has really opened my eyes to A, some of my weaknesses and B, some really good strategies around this. And one thing he talked about, you know, in this book he talks about You know, when we think about growth, growth is uncomfortable. You know, when you think about when you're studying and you're learning new concepts that you've never learned before, trying to install those concepts into your mind is uncomfortable. Uh, When you think about when you're trying to do a higher level of fitness, it's uncomfortable. When I think about when I'm learning a piano piece that's above my ability, it's uncomfortable. And when when he was talking about this in the book, I thought about my piano playing. And traditionally, you know, realistically, I probably play my piano for about four to six hours a week. That's my piano playing. And as I was reading it, I reflected upon how much time in my piano playing am I uncomfortable? Like, how much time am I uncomfortable, you know, where I'm actually growing in a way that's uncomfortable? And as I asked myself that question... The answer I really came up with was probably less than 20% of the time. You know, really what my piano playing was doing was I was either doing bits that I knew well or when it got uncomfortable, I'd shy away from the uncomfortable moment. So I'd either go to distraction, it might be my phone um, or I might just try to do something else or when it got uncomfortable, another thing I would often do is look for a new project. So let's say I was doing a piece that was really hard and I got to a bit that was really uncomfortable. I think, I might just learn another song. So I'd kind of... Put my focus in a totally different direction because that uncomfortable place was there and so ultimately the first thing i'm thinking about is how can i spend more time in uncomfortable growth in the four to six hours i'm going to be spending playing my piano now when we think about you as an athlete you could argue that you know um that you spend a lot of time being uncomfortable because the sport as a whole has its uncomfortable aspect to it. You know, like, getting out and riding your bike for six hours is an uncomfortable experience. But when we think about, as an athlete, it's the uncomfortable. The uncomfortable is probably a little bit in the when you've got to do higher-level sessions. It might be when you shirk away from, let's say, for example, it's a bad weather day. It might be um, when you get to certain levels of fatigue that you pull back from intensity so let's say you're meant to be sitting on so many watts for you know for a certain bike ride and you know traditionally you you know you get uncomfortable there so you compromise and you say I'm going to drop back 10% because today's not my day so when we think about being uncomfortable as an athlete traditionally you'd say that overall there is an uncomfortable level that comes with our sport but when you're trying to get to the next level and that again that could be when you're doing higher level training it could be training unfatigue, fatigue, it be holding paces for certain periods of time. How good are you, at the next level, staying uncomfortable? Now, some people who are listening to this are masters of it, and some people are really bad at this. And it's a really good thing to reflect upon as you think about this. So again, as I think about myself, when I asked that question of my piano playing, of the four to six hours of a week, how much time was I spending and uncomfortable and the answer was probably about 20%. Now, my aim is to get that up to 80%. I want to be basically spending about 80% of my time in uncomfortable growth when I'm playing my piano. Now, that's the first thing to think about. The other thing to think about is, um, what is becoming a better athlete mean? And... I want you to go beyond the obvious here. So, you know, when I sat down and, you know, when I read the Ultra Learning book, I thought to myself, because one thing he was really big on is you're saying you want to kind of design projects for yourself. And maybe this is something you can think about as an athlete. So, you know, there's we often are results driven. So it might be I want to be a sub nine I man, but let's just say the project for yourself is I want to improve my biking. By a certain percentage, or I want to get so much better at my running or my swimming, whatever. You know, instead of just saying I want to become a better athlete or I want to become a faster athlete, we really want to define what better is. And one thing I did, you know, and it, it, just again, so what is to define what your better is to maybe an even detailed way. So again, if we go back to your A is here and your B is your progress, you know, you could it could be a time thing. It could be I want to be a, a sub ten Ironman. But maybe an even just a better is, I want to be a better runner in the last 10Ks I'm an man race. I want to know how to master that part of the sport. Or it might be I want to become a skilled swimmer or whatever it is. But I, I really think we've got to define what better is and get a real clear understanding of the target we are aiming for. Because I could say my aim is to become a better piano player. But that's quite a broad thing, and I think the first thing to first sort of to kind of ask yourself is do a self-assessment of where you are right now. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper into this in a moment, but maybe just to do an overall self-assessment of as an athlete, where am I right now? And that could be a strengths and weaknesses thing. So you could say um, I am someone who can perform really well on the day, but I'm inconsistent in my training. So the area I want to get better at over the next period of time is to become a 100% consistent trainer with the program that I, get, I have to follow. Okay, So that's an obvious statement of a target that you're trying to move towards. Now with my piano playing, the area I've determined that I want to get better in is... I've, I've, one thing I've done is I've gone for a long-term approach. So I've gone to a five-year goal. And what I mean by this is I, I want to create the habits... So in five years from now, I'll be the ultimate piano player that I want to be. And so, when I think about it, my obvious target right now is to become a really great Grade 3 piano player. Now, if we were to do a skills assessment of me as a piano player, there'd be some areas where I'm probably like a 7, Grade 7 piano player, and there's some areas I'm a bit of a Grade 1. And so, what I wanted to do is I wanted to become an overall great Grade 3 piano player by the end of this year, and then ultimately we're through grade four, five, six, seven, eight over the next 5 years. So basically by the end of 5 years from now, to be an overall great grade 8 piano player in 5 years from now. And my obvious target right now is to become a really awesome grade 3 player in all of the areas it takes to be a grade 3 player right now. So it's going to be some ear work, it's going to be playing places that are grade 3 level, theory, sight reading, improvisation, and so on. So that was my obvious target that I'm working on. So that's where I'm putting my focus on right now. And as you as an athlete, maybe that's something you want to think about right now, is what's my obvious growth point that I want to put in place right now? And again, it's, it's, it's more than just, I want to be a better triathlete. So you can do that self-assessment of the areas where you're weak, and where you have strengths, and then you can kind of say, over the next period of time, this is the bit that I'm gonna focus on. Now I remember I worked with a, a really high level performance psychologist for a while, and one thing she was always big on is, growth period should only ever really target one or two areas. And uh, often what people do is they try to target too many areas. So obviously in triathlon there's many areas we're trying to develop. And so what you wanna say is, I've got my base areas that I'm gonna maintain, so that my, my, I'm gonna maintain my cycling, but my growth area for the next three months is nailing that last 10K of a race or last 10, the last part of a run in a triathlon. So you'll, there'll be the base level of maintenance in certain areas. And then you're going to choose one or two areas where you're going to put a lot of attention on really mastering those areas. And ultimately, if we're thinking of going from A to B, so from where you are to where you want to, what's the most impactful way that you can do that? So, if again, we're going to go, what's the best use of your energy to achieve that goal? What's the most impactful projects, the one or two projects, that you can work on over the last period of time? Once you've identified that target you're trying to move towards, the next thing we want to do is do some really good self-assessment and where you are right now in that area. Because what we're trying to think about is, again, if if, if we're trying to be most powerful, effective change in the most effective way possible, there's probably, you're probably already doing some well in some of those areas. So, putting attention in the areas you're doing well is a bit of a waste of time. And I'll, actually, I'll, probably a good way to talk about this is with my piano playing. So, one thing I've done right now is um, as I was setting up this project, I did a lot of tests in the different areas of my piano playing that I'm developing on. So, I did some ear theory tests, I did some sight reading tests, I did some playing. Um, Improvisation. I did some theory tests. Uh, so let's just look at the theory. So one thing I did is I, I bought the theory exams for grade three, and I bought three or four different exams. And what I did is, is I went through and I did all the exams. I did about three or four different exams from different years. And the purpose of doing these exams was was to see where do I already know, where am I uncertain, and where do I have no idea. So I did the exams and after the exams there was kind of like 50% that i already knew that I, like i knew there was, i on top of 100% and 50% exam and then there was like 30% of the exam which i was a little bit sure on some of the answers i got some of them right but it was a bit of a fluke i wasn't i wasn't concrete in my answers and then there was 20% of the exam where i didn't really know what i was talking about now doing that exam before i even started my practice or started developing myself was really important. Because when I come to my tactics and strategies, why would I spend time on the 50% that I already know? Like, that's not your good use of my time because I already know it. And so, in doing my self-assessment before I even started doing the work and developing myself, what I'm trying to figure out is where are my gaps in my learning? Where are the bits that I actually need to develop myself? So with my theory work, what I do, when I think about my tactics to become better, what I'm doing is I'm really putting it on the other 50%. So I'm putting on that 50% where I'm a little bit uncertain, or that, that 30% where I'm a little bit uncertain, or the 20% where I really don't know what I'm doing. So when I sit down to do theory work now, it's going into that 50% so you can see what i did there is i did that self-assessment and i thought about where am i doing well and actually do i need to spend any time in that area and then where do i actually want to spend my attention when i'm trying to put a project together for this area now i did that in all the different areas that i'm trying to be good at within grade three so i identified where all my weaknesses were and where all my development needs to go and this is you know going back to the self-project that you want to think about so Again, you've identified one or two areas that you're going to focus on over a period of time. It might be a three to six month project. Then you've, you're doing a real deep self assessment in the different areas. And I, I, what I will do is I'll talk to the last 10K of an Ironman run. Okay, so you've done a self assessment of what you're good at in the last 10K in an Ironman run. Okay, so you might do a self assessment and say, you know what? I always nail my nutrition. A, I do really well for the whole race to stick into my nutrition plan, and I nail my nutrition. In that part of the run. Um, the other thing I do really well is um, I focus on my technique. So, nutrition technique are nail. The bits that I don't do is my mindset works against me. Uh, the other bit that I don't do is um, when it gets really tough, I just give up. Okay, so. The bits I do well, nutrition and technique, or focusing on process around technique. The bits that I don't do is mindset and motivation. So when we think about developing your tactics and strategies, we don't really need to think about nutrition, do we? Because you're already nailing it. And we don't really need to think about you focusing on your technique because you're already nailing it. Now, we don't want to forget about those things, but if we're going to spend attention on you developing this side of yourself, you're probably going to give 5% of your attention to that and then you're going to give 90% of your attention to motivational tools and mindset tools and things like that. So as we've done that self-assessment from there, we've now got a really good idea of where we should be putting our attention and how we're going to develop ourselves. The next bit is we develop a project, and this is what I do with my piano. So I really sat down and I gave myself, it took me about two weeks to do this, Um, and in the book Ultra Learning, he, he says that really... He likes to say that 10% of the time before you do, before you actually start actions, you're putting your project together. Now, when we're developing the project, after we've understood where we're trying to grow, is we're really trying to think about the strategies and tactics and uh, mentoring that we're going to need to develop ourselves in this way. So this is the time where you probably want to sit with a coach or with somebody who can really guide you in areas you don't know how to grow in this area, uh, this is where you're going to try to see where you can learn, so like for example if I go back to my um, piano stuff, what I did is I bought the theory books around playing, I looked for some YouTube sites that were really good around education around piano playing, um, I, I've just found a tutor that I'm working with, so I spent time developing how I'm going to learn to get better at this. I'm also looking for the tactics that I'm going to put in place in this time. So for example, one tactic that, that I've put in place is kind of like, you know, the, John always gives me shit about my weekly meeting that I do in my, triath- in my life. Well, I also do that with my piano playing now. So each week I have... I've got my project plan as a, as a document on my computer, and then each week I have a weekly meeting going, okay, this week with my piano playing, here's the objectives that I'm trying to achieve. So I'm gonna work on this piece, I'm gonna work on this scale, uh, here's what I'm gonna do with um, my my um, sight reading and my ear work, and so on. So there's a kind of a plan for the week. Then, the other tech that I'm going to use is, each time before I play my piano playing, I spend five minutes of objective work before I even play. So, see what you're doing there is, you're, you're kind of learning the strategies and tactics. And when we're looking at strategies, strategies, probably learning strategies and mentors is probably to think about it, and tactics. So, what do I need to learn? Okay, so I need to learn some grade three stuff, and how will I learn it? Well, I'll get the book and I'll use a mentor. Um, What are my strategies to actually put the learning in place? That's the weekly meeting and so on. And then uh, what are the tactics to apply that? And that would be the objectives and so on as well. So you can see that that's kind of the system I'm putting in place to make sure that I get on top of that other 50% that I'm trying to learn. Now, once we've got that in place, the application can be the hardest bit. And I have this theory that I've come up with, and I don't know if I made the theory up, but it's this theory that called, ultimately I think change is really hard. And I think what all of us do, or a lot of us do, is we start change, and then we go back to default. And I'll I'll give an example that I often share, and I think many of us will connect with. So uh, if you've ever been in a relationship, or you're in a relationship Often a relationship can get to a point where we feel disconnected from each other. And often there's a trigger moment. Now, depending on the relationship, that can be represented in many ways. It can be a big argument. Uh, for Joe and I, we t- Joe and I aren't arguers. I don't think Joe and I have ever had a verbal verbal argument. Um, we tend to just shut off. So, and, and luckily I've got a great relationship, so it doesn't happen often. But very rarely, Joe and I will just shut off. And, um, and it will go for a period of time. Now, for you and your relationship or in previous relationships, it might be that you argue, it might be that you shut off, it might be that you do something that's about making a mistake, whatever it is, you, there's a disconnect, you're pulling apart, and then something happens and you, and you and you see it. So Joe and I might have a couple of days where we have just withdrawn from each other, we both know something's there but we're not willing to confront it, and then we confront confronted. And we have the conversation, we address the problem, and often what comes after that moment is that kind of thing of, we need to spend time looking after our, our relationship. And good intentions can come from that moment. And so good intentions will come along and it'll be like, you know what we need to do is we need to have a date night again. you know, Or one night a week, because Joe and I, we often watch and eat TV and you know, we we'll watch the news while we're eating TV. i oh, sorry, eating dinner while we're watching the news. So we don't really sit at the table and share. So you might say, you know, once a week, we're going to sit at the table and have dinner together and just connect. Or we might have a date night every couple of weeks. And so you have a a change thing that has good intentions. So we're gonna change our behaviors of eating tea in front of the dinner, and go out for dinner once every two weeks and have dinner at table once a week. And the first week you do it, and it's really valuable. So yeah, yeah, Joe and I, we have dinner at the table, we connect, it's really valuable, and we do it the first week, and it's a really good thing. So the change that you're trying to implement is good. And then you do it the second week, and again, it's a really valuable thing. But what often happens is, in week three, you know, Wednesday night's the night where you're going to get together and you're going to have the connect. You're going to have dinner together, and you come home from work and you think, oh, I'm feeling a bit tired. Maybe I won't say to Joe. Let's, maybe I'll say, to, I just won't, I won't mention that we're going to have dinner at the table. And maybe Joe's thinking the same thing. And you're kind of just getting ready for dinner, and dinner comes along, and suddenly you go. Do you want news tonight? And what's happened is you've gone back to your old habit. And you end up watching news, and you say, We'll do the we'll do the dinner next week. And you may do the dinner next week, but but often you don't. And ultimately, what ends up happening is you just go back to your old habit and eventually you end up having another disconnection moment. And often I think this is the problem with change. Change is hard. Change is really hard. And change in in Permanence and creating permanent change is really really tough and it's really interesting the pullback to default and I'll share a really interesting a weird example with me so I have a massive cup of tea like my cup of tea is probably a liter of of tea, like it's. I've got my cup right beside me right now. It's a big cup of tea, and I I traditionally have three cups of tea a day, which means I end up having kind of like a liter of milk because I like a milky tea. So I decided recently I don't want to have two cup. I want to have two cups of tea instead of three cups of tea, and so my lunchtime tea now has gone to a ginger tea, which is just water and just like a ginger tea bag. And it was really fascinating how much I wanted to go back to having a milky cup of tea, and it probably took me three weeks of conscious effort where the ginger cup of tea became the norm and and i ultimately think because i don't know i don't know the research behind this but i just think that when we're trying to change habit we want to go back to default and even though we're in a place where we're creating a different change we want to go back to default so it's that you've had two date nights with your partner the third night you go let's just watch netflix it's me with my cup of tea and so when we think of the change we're trying to create. So let's say let's say you've gone through this process. So let's say you've identified where you want to grow. Created the, the real target you're trying to become, so I'm, I, I want to be a better runner in the last 10k of the race. You've identified your weakness, okay, I'm mentally weak at that moment, and I have bad mindsets. You've spent some time learning strategies, okay, I've found a book on mindset, I've got a mindset coach, um, I'm going to talk to my coach about how to practice this. I'm actually going to spend some runs under fatigue where I'm going to practice this stuff in place. So you've found the tactics and strategies you're going to use, And then you also might even do the objectives thing as well. So before I go for these runs, I'm going to write down these objectives. The next point is you've got to become really disciplined at the new behaviors. So for me, my new behavior of piano playing, and I kind of identified that before, was first of all, I turn my computer off or at least I put it on sleep, because my computer's quite close to my piano, and I've found that because it's close, I get distracted by my computer. So first thing is, I put it on sleep. Uh, The next thing is, uh, is I write down the objectives for this session. Now, one thing I do with objectives, it's not just practical. So for example, in today's session, I might go, okay, I'm working on a Rihanna piece on the piano, and there's basically eight bars that I haven't quite mastered yet. So I'm going to spend 15 minutes doing single hand work on each of those with a metronome and then try to do uh, two hand work on the beat working really hard and staying focused on that and my mindset is is if i make a mistake go down in the speed until you've got to the point where you can play with precision without cocking up okay that's one of the objectives for the session Another objective might be to focus on the baseline when you're learning the song by ear, so on and so on. So I'm really writing down the practical, but I'm also focusing on the mindset objectives. And then thirdly, one thing I've started to do is identify when I'm going back to old habits. So traditionally, one thing that I would do in my piano playing was I would just keep practicing, even though I was making mistakes, because... I don't know it's just it's what i used to do now that's a really big common fault with piano playing is that people practice mistakes which ultimately means you, you you're learning to play the song wrong and one thing you learn with piano playing is that if you're making a mistake you've got to stop slow down the speed or maybe go to single hand and master that until you've got that right and then you start to increase the speed again and so for example one thing i do when i'm doing my objective session is to identify what would show me I'm going back to old habits. So if I'm playing a piece over and over again and I'm making a mistake, I've got to stop myself and go, okay, you're going back to old habits. What's the new mindset that I'm practicing? So when you're thinking about actually getting out and doing the work, what's the process that you have around that? So let's say, for example, for you, it could be, okay, before I go out for a run, or let's say you're going to do a, a brick session. You're going to do four hours of biking to our run. Okay, before I start that session, I'm going to have an objective session. And in the objectives, I'm identifying the objectives within that session. I'm also identifying the mindsets I'm working on within that session. And I'm also identifying what would show me I'm going back to old habits in that time. And what do I do in that moment to make sure that I'm progressing? And what we're doing there is we're trying to go away from that going back to default you know, going back to watching Netflix with Joe, or going back to that third cup of tea with milk in my day. And we're trying to create a new norm in how we approach things. So for example, like for example, with my piano playing, one thing I'm doing is when I'm playing by ear, I actually have written next to me the thinking that I should have in place when I'm doing this. Because traditionally what I do when I was playing ear is, is I had a fixed mindset of, I'm not very good at this. So when I was trying to play by ear, I'd just be telling myself, I'm not very good at this. And see what I have right now is I go, listen, I have a list of questions I ask myself. What is the bass line? What is the melody? What's the key of the piece? What's the rhythm doing? Can you figure out the chords of the progress? So I've got these questions that I have next to me, as I'm doing this and what that's doing is it's making my mind focus on the things that I want to be doing and you can see that if I put that in place before I actually start practicing there's a higher chance I'm going to stay in this now again if we go back to that brick session if you can spend that five minutes beforehand doing that work what are my objectives today what is the mindset I'm trying to focus on what do I need to be aware of if I go back to old habits and how do I make sure I win that moment? Do you think that as you get into that last 10K of that brick session, that you'll be more successful in actually growing in the area that you're trying to develop? And this is what we're trying to do because with my piano playing, A, I'm being really disciplined in the process. And what I'm finding is that now the process is becoming the habit. So each day now I just think, okay, get up and grab the piece of paper before the objective sessions. And that's where we want you to get to. We want you to get to the point where you've moved away from the default and the new behaviours are the new way of doing things. So, you know, if you were to spend that time doing the practice, the objective work before your session, eventually you don't even think about doing it because that's your new habit and that's kind of the hurdle we're trying to get over and creating change in a permanent way and because the thing about all of these things is they work you know like if we if, if the goal is as we go right back to what I was talking about at the start is if we're going to spend time doing something and we're trying to grow in that area we want the use of that time to be the most effective use of that time as possible and And I'll probably do a a wrap up of this at the end. But do you think if you were to add this process to your training, you'd be better at that statement? You'd be more effective in the time you spent in your training and you'd grow much faster than what you're growing. And ultimately, that's what this is all about. But I just find that, you know, a lot of people think this is a good idea and a they never do it. they do it for a moment and they don't make it permanent change and so that's why the last piece of the puzzle being really disciplined and sticking to the process and practicing the process to that becomes your new norm and that's what I've been working with my piano playing and I'm going to be honest I haven't nailed it 100% of the time like right now I'd probably say I'm at 75% of the time there's still moments I'm not doing that before work that sets me up up for success I'm trying to get better at 100 but that's where I'm aiming to get to and so I suppose Hopefully, and I know I've probably repeated myself a lot through this, but hopefully I've given you a framework to think about here. So I'll just do a quick recap. So ultimately what we're saying is you want to grow, and you spend time doing this thing. So we want to use your time in the most effective way possible that gives you the fastest change and helps you evolve in the best way possible. The first thing we need to identify is how much time are you spending in uncomfortable, and how can we get you spending more time in uncomfortable so you're getting more change more quickly. The second thing we want to do is we want to identify where you are actually trying to grow right now. Where are the big growth points that you want to achieve? And what's that target? And it's not, I want to be a better triathlete. It's, I want to be a master of the last 10Ks of Marathon and I, man. From there, what we want to do is we want to do a self-assessment of our areas we don't need to develop or we just need to reinforce and where our gaps are that we need to put a lot of attention on and to progress forward. Once we've done that, then we want to spend time learning strategies, tactics and mentoring. In this place, we're trying to learn how do we become better in that place, what are tactics that people are great in this place do, what my mentors can teach me, so we can identify that where we're going to put our attention on how we're going to grow. Then we're looking at The last step of the puzzle was, what's the process that I'm going to practice that can keep me focused on the learning in this area? For me, it's the objective sessions, it's understanding mindsets, and it's seeing where I will go back to my old behaviors and making sure I don't do that in the process, and then ultimately to practice this over and over and over so this becomes a new norm. Now, the great thing about this process is if you're very successful with it, what it gives you the ability to do is, after three or four months, you'll be a master of the last 10Ks of an Ironman race. And then what you can do is you can do another assessment, and okay, okay, in my triathlon moment, or my triathlon career, now that I'm good at this, where's my next growth point along the way? And you can see that if we do this both practically and with mindset, you're gonna progress maybe faster than what you have. And I, and I think one thing that's really important here is there's a lot of athletes who have done the sport for a long time, And they think they've only got 1% gains in front of them. But maybe you don't. Maybe you have massive gains if you take an approach like this on. So probably the last piece of the puzzle, which I haven't talked about, is the feedback process. And with piano playing, it's one piece I've really added to the process. And the feedback process is, basically, for piano playing, I record myself playing a lot more than what I used to. Like Basically, I would record myself playing maybe jeepers creepers maybe once a month in the past whereas i record myself playing probably three times a week now so i i play i do my practice i record feedback and what we what we get in triathlon is we get feedback from the stats from our data so we get you know your power files you your running stats you get your strava files but what we're trying to do is we're trying to get feedback in the area we're trying to grow so you know like the example i've shared with you is in that last 10k of the race the data on your watch probably isn't great feedback because data on watch doesn't really represent how well motivated you were or what your mindset was now you could argue it was because you're able to maintain a speed but it's it's still not the case so maybe one thing you might discover is that when you're out there you might actually if you carry a phone which i know a lot of people don't when they run but you might record yourself on your phone when you're out running and say what you're saying in your head so there can be feedback that you can reflect upon after your run and so, because feedback, feedback progresses growth in the most fastest way possible. So let's let's say you did that. Let's say you took your run, your what, your phone with you. And I know a lot of people hate the idea of that, but let's just say you did it. And when you're doing that last 10k of the run, you had to push recorder on the call recorder on your phone, and you had to just say what was in your head while you're on the run. After the, in that brick session, and then you had to send that to your mentor afterwards, and they'd say, okay, well that's what you're in your head. Here's what I would do to improve you next time. And you can see how that feedback process is really important. And so that's probably the last thing you need to add to this process. There needs to be a feedback loop. And ultimately, I don't think people use feedback enough. I don't think people use feedback enough. Sure, data, but if we're going, I've got a project I'm working on, and it's that last 10k of a race or the area you've identified, how often are you really using feedback to see the gaps in your learning? Because if we can use that feedback, then we can narrow down where you're putting your attention in the the next session, which again will fast forward your progress. So again, that's the process, grow quickly, identify the area you're trying to grow in, see where your gaps are, strategies, tactics, mentors, learning, the planning for the process, practice, practice, practice that process so it becomes your new norm, and your feedback loop. I guarantee that if you were to apply this, you will progress in the most effective way possible. But here's the thing, a lot of people listening to this right now will be thinking, that's a really cool idea, I'd love to apply that, but they don't do it. And I think this is the biggest problem, is people don't do the work. And if you're, going back to Greg Bennett, Greg Bennett had a phenomenal career as an athlete. He's a pro. He's the definition of the word pro. Greg Bennett, turned over every stone it took to him to be the greatest and you can listen to a process like this and go that's a good idea or you can apply this process and I guarantee that if you apply this process or you know you improve your process the gains you get will be so rewarding and you'll get more from your sport it'll be more stimulating and the progress you achieve will be absolutely phenomenal so don't just listen to this and go I should do this Maybe you should put the time aside, go back and listen to this again, record it, and write down and actually go through a process. Give yourself two hours to go through that process. I guarantee that if you do that, you achieve way more in your triathlon career. Anyway, um, uh, that's pretty much that bit of the show done. Now, as I was saying earlier, um, uh, we've got some interviews. So we interviewed Dave, I think it's Dr. Dr. Feelgood, Dave Dwan, and Stephanie. These are two interviews that John did when he was in Germany so these were post race and route so I'm going to put them on right now and I'll be back at the end of the show to wrap things up.
1: Next up we have uh, Dr Feelgood Dave Dwan who's had a bit of a mixed role on this camp he's done a little bit of support crew stuff driving a big white rig so we have uh, I think at the end of the camp we had seven vehicles I think out there seven or eight vehicles um, and quite a few minivans but then two big white cargo vans that transport all the luggage and bikes and what have you so uh yeah, it's back in the back in the land of driving a manual on the wrong side of the road, which is always fun. So welcome back, Dave. Uh, that microphone is not working. Just uh, maybe t- they might have turned it off and boom, we're in business. There we go. Uh, How's that? That is fantastic, Dave. We're not going to edit that at all because uh, that's the way the show rolls. Absolutely. Uh, righty-ho, Dave. Um, this camp's been building up for a few years since COVID times. Um, if you cancelled air tickets in the... In the you know, water under the bridge, but we're here eventually. And um, tell us what you said to Felix when you crossed the finish line yesterday.
2: Ah, yeah, I said, are uh, we epic camp finished in Wanaka, challenged Wanaka in 2007, and uh, it's so good to be here to finish in challenge Road in 2023." God, it's taken a bit of time, hasn't it? <laughs> a bit of a bit of a leg. Um, you had a pretty, uh, pretty fun week by the look of it. Oh, it's been great, Johnny. I mean, I was just well as always. It's always organised up with by yourself and um, great crew. Really mm. good um, athletes on this camp and a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, it's been great. Not didn't get as much training as because of driving in bits and pieces, but really for race day was great. Hmm.
1: Um, now tell us a little bit about yourself for those who haven't listened. Sort of age and background, and when you sort of got into try, um, or you can not <laughs> not say that. But
2: no, 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 I'm happy, mate. <laughs> I learned this from it. I learned this from at forty, did my first. I'm at fifty-three, which was Busso and um, I turned seventy in December. So I was in the old buggers brigade yesterday. Um,
1: one thing I haven't actually talked to you about. Um, so you will have heard earlier in the show, you guys um, about the wave start. So Dave started at. 650 which was the first sort of age group wave and I was starting at 6.55, I've got to say I felt for you guys because we swam over a lot of people. Um, How was your experience in the swim?
2: I stayed to the right Good and I had no issues whatsoever yeah. I didn't have anyone come over top of me and uh, had a really good well apart from calf cramping every 200 metres um, it went really swimmingly well so to speak
1: and do you know the reason why that calf cramping might have happened well uh,
2: we think it may have been because <laughs> I was wearing yandles flip flops or whatever you like to call them for too many days I think too, but mu-
1: too much walking too
2: much walking but that's yeah. the thing
1: on this camp there's so many cool places to go and see Yeah. you kind of do get sucked into doing a
2: little bit too much walking Yeah, I that's agree. unfortunate I agree but mate the swim was good um, no issues whatsoever straightforward couldn't mm-hmm. couldn't get lost
1: mm-hmm. yeah um, it was very cool we, we were wandering out to the van to do a bit of packing and we um saw you coming down you know you're looking really strong at the end of the run but maybe just sort of talk us talk us through how your your day unfolded once you got out of mm. that swim
2: yeah the swim took me about 10 minutes longer because the stopping for cramping but the bike really happy kept the heart rate low took my time fueled up I think the only issue I had was with a bit of GI distress because I was using the Parade bars, which I tried on our training rides, but it's just uh, the last maybe hour or so, my guts were starting to feel a little bit unsettled, so I got off the bike and all I wanted to was throw up, but the bike, Mm. I really enjoyed it. I mean, the hill, going up Solberg Hill and the little villages and I was just so, like you, we talked about just soaking up the atmosphere Mm. and I didn't push it, it had a really good ride, loved it actually, yeah.
1: Did you have um, many people to ride with? Like in terms of because because you were starting in that group, it would have been older people. But then in a normal race, it doesn't really matter in age. You just kind of come out where you come out, and you're going to be with more people of somewhat similar ability, at least swimming ability. And they might be similar on the bike. Here, you've got the, you, the people in your age group. But then after that, you've got all the guns coming yeah. through. So
2: was it? Got a j- good question. I think re- the first lap, um, it was a lot of uh, solo riding because mm. they just ride past me. And I thought, no, nah, I'm not getting on their wheel. Yeah. Second lap, easy peasy. I got on some pace lines. nice perhaps got a little bit close a couple of times too. So <laughs> but I just sat on the pace line and just it was much much better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: good. So coming off the bike, um, um, what, what are your expectations going to the run? You've had some challenges. Um, mm. you know, getting the, getting the run volume up. Um, And that was always going to be, you know, the crunch
2: time. Um, So how did you sort of, what was your plan to manage your run? Stay, keep the heart rate low, keep well within uh, a steady pace and just look after myself as best I could. And that was great for the first 5Ks and then the old tummy was starting to shake up a little bit and the calves are really struggling to get the calves moving properly, so i just did a reset i did an iron man an iron mind reset and thought right let's do something about this what am i gonna do okay let's just go to the k markers and so i just ran to the k markers power walked k markers then the gi stuff really started to play havoc with my tums and when i got down on the canal the long runs Mm -hmm. so there's quite a few porta potty stops and then i got to about the 23k mark and nothing left and um Mm -hmm. I just had a little a little second wind, and I felt really good, so oh, I nice. just picked the pace up, and away I went. It was great.
1: I was praying for that second wind. I was thinking, yeah, I want it to come. I really want it to come, yeah. but it d- didn't yeah. come at all. No. Um, I, li-
2: I definitely used the downhills to my... I love running downhills, so I used those to my advantage. Power walked the hubs mm-hmm. and ran quickly down the downhills, and had, I had a negative split. Oh, so. my God, really? <laughs> Stop it, yeah.
1: That's insane. That's <laughs> mental. Negative <laughs> splits. It's unheard of. You see negative split efforts, but it's very rare, yeah. it's a negative split, and when it's the second half of the run, is significantly harder than the first. First half of the run, you have a bit of downhill and then it's all flat. Second half, you've got a little bit of uphill and then a proper climb. Uh, so that's impressive. Well that done. That
2: was oh, good. And I had so many people around cheering this on. And it was mm. just lovely. It was just great. Loved it, yeah.
1: You did have. You did look really good when you were going to finish. You just looked in your typical sort of chuff, yeah. shuffling sort of in, in at a nice little pace. So. I,
2: I had to change my running statue because I couldn't run straight up and down because my calves yeah. are still sore. But I got a, found a place that was happy yeah. and just chugged away. It was yeah. great.
1: It was cool. We were just wandering to the vans, and we saw Sarah Blair, which was great. She, she was looking she, good when she uh, was running. She finished, uh, and finished in third place. And then Greg was just behind her, who you just heard from, and then you were just behind them as well. So happy with my
2: fourth placing. Yeah. But, um, another. I mean, I know, some, I know the guy who got third. I raced with him at Honu, and uh, I, again the swim and the bike ravage, but the run was the one that let me down but one day mate i'll get it i'll get it sorted one day nice <laughs> next race
1: uh and in terms of highlights for you and on the the camp any particular oh. things that you saw that you um in terms of whether you went to a particular museum or a particular yeah. Ra- place regensburg you, yeah. regensburg
2: it took 600 years to build that cathedral I I, I just can't (laughs) believe, 600 years to build a cathedral it's amazing and then I guess too just everything's, like I may have said to you guys my dad was a prisoner of war in in Leipzig for three years uh, in the second world war so coming to Germany has been a bit of a A bit of a historical thing for me, I just just love the country, it's just Mm. open and fresh and the people are friendly, Mm. Um, they use cash, which I love.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't love. (laughs) We went to a couple of places and they literally had no credit card stuff and I was like, what? And then I was speaking to one of our local contacts, Christine, she said, oh yeah,
2: welcome to Germany. And the trains, everything just organised and runs on time, and Mm. clean, nice, everyone's been so friendly and the campus has been great. Um,
1: What blew me away? We we had to go down, and unfortunately, we had one of our athletes uh, crash on the bike, and he ended up breaking his collarbone. Um, We had to go and find his bike this afternoon, and we went down to T2, and there were some guys down there, sort of starting to do pack up. And I'm sort of looking around, going, "Oh, there's a few older folk there; they'll they'll be volunteers." Another guy came over, and he wasn't. uh, He was sort of the head of uh, T2, and and we were sort of chatting away, and he was trying to locate where the bike was, and it was somewhere else. We had to go and get it um and i sort of said oh you know do you do you work for the organization and he says no no i'm head of um second term transition Two and this is on a monday so it's a work day i said oh really and he goes oh no all the uh, people here are volunteers there's 15 wow. of us today and we're taking time off work to volunteer for this it's oh, amazing they have seven thousand volunteers at this race and i would uh, there's definitely some employees at the you know at, at head yeah. office but Uh, I just don't think you get that at other events. And I just said, I run races back home, so I had to get volunteers, and he goes... We just go around the schools and talk to people and everyone wants to get involved. It's the one big thing of the year and just the volunteers over here. We say that at all races, volunteers are amazing, but here it
2: is next level. I think 100% agree because they're just so friendly and anything, nothing was a problem. Mm. Nothing was a problem. It was so good, mate. And yeah. I think that uh, finish line was exceptional. Mm. And, um, but the whole race was just so highly organised and it was just mm. no, no... It was very twisty and turning. I, don't, I would have to debate whether it's a fast course Mm. It's um make it look oh, like they like a fast not, I was, like, went past me the two the two men went past me like I was standing still, which I probably was. But <laughs> they were flying. It's oh, just. Yeah. But anyway, the villages and the people, the hills, the countryside. It's an amazing place. Yeah, yeah really enjoyed it, Johnny. Well, and yeah, thanks for putting it together, mate. It's great. It's
1: oh, great. So it's time for us to go off into phase two of the evening and have some drinking wikkies and uh, go get some. I got a bit of a yeah. sausage on the menu. So I think <laughs> that's <laughs> what I ordered. So I'm yeah, looking yeah, forward yeah. to that. So Dunker, I'll feed the same. Dunker, I'll feed the same. Cheers. Okay, next up we've got Stephanie Ritter. Have I pronounced your surname correctly, Steph? Yes, Ritter. Excellent. Uh, Steph, tell us a little bit about where you're from and how long you've been doing uh, Crazy Sport of Triathlon.
3: Um, I am from Minot, North Dakota, which is about an hour from the Saskatchewan border of Canada. So it is mainly winter for about six months of the year. Yeah. I first became interested in triathlon when my husband introduced me to the sport in about 2014, and he's a collegi- he was a collegiate swimmer, and I've I come from a running background, and we did our first Olympic triathlon, and then from there. Um, I didn't have much opportunity to compete at the longer distance races until about two years ago
1: oh, very good uh, now you, so obviously so your husband brought you into the sport is he still doing it as well or not
3: um, unfortunately he has a back injury that doesn't allow him to but he is able to do some open water swim races
1: very good. Uh, now, Dr. Phil with Dave Dwan uh, probably encouraged you to come over here, but you did the, the Kona camp last year, so I might have encouraged you as well. Um, how long have you been doing long course racing?
3: Um, this was my second uh, second Ironman distance, so I did my first race last year at Maryland.
1: Mm. And how does the route compare to Maryland? <laughs> I <don't laughs> not, think not that we want to be downing any other races, but it's just a bit different. It'd be interesting to see what it's like.
3: The entire experience here was phenomenal. Road is definitely a bucket list race. If you have the, ex- if you have the opportunity, jump on it. it the photos, the, um, until you experience it, it just doesn't do it justice. It was yeah. absolutely incredible.
1: But uh, how, contrast it to to Maryland. You know, uh, well, f- firstly in terms of your performance, you know, your first Ironman in Maryland, um, Maryland. that's the correct pronunciation? Maryland. Yeah. yeah. How did how did that go?
3: Um, Maryland is known to be a. F- fast flat course so i did choose it um i'm from north dakota which is also very flat and i'm used to the wind so it's it seemed i wanted to tackle something that seemed a little bit more doable mm-hmm. uh this course with the elevation was definitely uh, more challenging but the crowd support kept you going all d- all day long yeah. um also, the swim in Maryland is jellyfish-infested, <laughs> oh, so it gosh. was nice to not be stung every third stroke. Um. Um, the, uh, bike courses were very different. Um, Maryland is, is flat and um, not many spectators. And, yeah, rote takes the cake when it comes to a bike course.
1: Excellent. Uh, and I don't think I've even had a chance to speak to you about your day, so I don't know if it was good, bad, or average. Uh, so talk, talk us through how your your sort of day unfolded. Firstly, with the you know, what, what about pre race? You know, um, you were a bunch of nerves by the look of it the day before, <laughs> or a couple of days before. Um, Very accurate. <laughs> tell us about how nervous you were on race morning and and the sort of the vibe you got when you wandered into the when we wandered into the race venue.
3: I was a bunch of nerves the day before. I was also a bunch of nerves in the van, mm-hmm. um, which showed up in the swim. Unfortunately, my swim performance needs some work. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it at that. Maybe just a couple couple less panics would be great. But after I got out of the water, I was um, able to put that behind me and focus on the day ahead. The bike course, I felt Calm and comfortable and there was so much crowd support and I knew once I got off the bike without having a mechanical the day was mine I enjoy running the most so uh, getting out there like once I put my shoes on I was ready to go and I just followed feet in front of me and tried to chase one person down at a time
1: it is such a relief Mm -hmm. when you are rolling towards T2 (laughs) And you go, sweet, no <laughs> puncher, no mechanical, job done.
3: Yes, um, I'm probably the least capable on this camp to be able to change a flat tire, so that was definitely something that I was a bit concerned about.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and any, any other sort of highlights from, from the week over here um, in terms of places you've been, things you've seen, any particular museums or anything like that?
3: The camp was phenomenal. Everything was so perfectly organized and the group of people that I got to travel with over the past 10 days has made this experience phenomenal. So I just want to say a huge thank you to you and the support crew for making this an exceptional trip.
1: Cool. Awesome. What's up next for you?
3: I am headed to Finland for the 70.3 World Champs. Oh, nice.
1: Very cool. Anything else on the agenda this year? I mean, that's a pretty big uh, target Uh, to have.
3: And then I will do uh, Waco 70.3 in October with the hopes of qualifying for the 70.3 Champs in Tapo.
1: Nice, very good. And Dr. Feelgood wanted to also mention that we didn't discuss uh, both his athletes finished in fine style in the race yesterday. So well done to Dr. Feelgood. He also finished in fourth place, which I hopefully mentioned before, but he has stellar day. So, Steph, uh, awesome work and uh, it was great to have your fantastic bubbly personality on this camp.
0: Thank you. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed those interviews. One thing I want to go back to what I was talking about earlier. I, I, just first of all, if, um, if you do want to do one of John's epic camps, John puts on the most amazing camps. They're seriously, it will be a life experience that you will take for you for the rest of your life. They're just um, great people, great training, well organized, they're pretty phenomenal. So if you want to check out one of John's camps, epiccamp.com. And also if you want to get coaching, John's a great coach, you'll be in really safe hands, check out Uh one thing I will just, I just want to go back to what I was talking about earlier. I know I kind of went on for a while there, but um, I just think also reps and conditions is really important. Uh, and that goes back to that being uncomfortable. There's a coach in rugby league. Rugby league's my favourite sport. Um, and there's a coach called Craig Bellamy, who's one of the greatest coaches of all time. And there's a player called Cooper Krong, who was you know one of the greatest players of all time as well. And um, Cooper always talks about, Craig would always get them to do reps under fatigue and what he meant by that is he would, he'd get these players really fatigued and then he'd put in players, playing conditions and get them to face, face what they would be like in those conditions and he just said the amount of reps we had to do under fatigue and in game-like conditions was unbelievable and ultimately by doing those reps, when it came to those big moments, we just were so used to that place. And, and I, you know, like going back to what I was talking about earlier, that kind of, how often are you spending being uncomfortable and uncomfortable in areas you're not comfortable. If you can think about getting your reps up, because ultimately what you're doing is, you are learning to get comfortable at a place where you're not comfortable. And that's why just lots and lots of reps are really, really important. I know I'm kind of just adding on there, but just kind of came to mind as I was thinking about that. Anyway, this this, this, uh, this week's show pretty much done. I, just I do want to say thank you to a couple of our patrons. We've got Chris G- Stream Doherty. We've got John I'm Gonna Knock You Out really and Ryan Ruthless Smith. These are people who are patrons of the show. If you want to get a cool... I Am Talk nickname, you can go to www.iamtalk.me to become a patron. Again, Coach John some of Coaching, anything with me, bevanjamesisles.com. I don't really do my podcast nowadays, what I do is I just do like a video post once a week. I do release it as a podcast, so if you want to get that, you can check that out on my website. Any age group of the week, cool websites, other feedback, extend to at gmail.com. So next week we will be back to normal, I think John's back from holiday next week. I'm gonna be heading away to Bali after that. So that's encouraging as well. Uh and then yeah, so thanks for the show. Uh hopefully you enjoyed what I brought to the show earlier on in today's episode. And we'll be back next week. As always, I'm Russ, I'm not Train Smart, Train Hard, Kia Kaha.